players don't come to the tour and learn how to play anymore. They show up ready to play. Travel certainly has become a lot easier. If you can jump on a private plane with a buddy or two, you know, share the cost, you get to and from uh, much more easily, uh, much less stress. Fitness is certainly an important component of that. Guys have nutritionists and therapists that travel with them. And there's just so much more information, and not, not just information, but quality information. Guys are better prepared. They are more fit. They mind their P's and Q's. They take care of themselves, and they understand that this is a long-term proposition. Hello, and welcome to Let's Talk Tech, a monthly podcast that explores the latest emerging technologies, the people behind them, and how these trends will affect the way we work, live, and play. I'm Stacy Kirkland of Seaspire, and in today's episode, show host Dave Miller interviews professional golfer Olin Brown about how technology is radically changing competition, player fitness, and recovery. Brown, a 33-year veteran of the PGA and Senior Tours, with five titles and over $14 million in winnings, will talk about the impact of technology on golf and how players, no matter what their age and skill level, can use it to their advantage. Brown will also share his thoughts and insights on the state of golf in the U.S. and on efforts to ensure its long-term health. Welcome to Seaspire's Let's Talk Tech podcast. I'm Dave Miller, and today we're discussing how technology, player fitness, and changes in travel are driving professional golf to new heights. Joining us via phone to talk about this subject is professional golfer Olin Brown, who is now in his eighth year on the PGA Champions Tour with 84 top 25 finishes and two titles and nearly $5.4 million in winnings after a successful 25-year career on the PGA Tour with three titles and over $8.5 million in earnings. He's getting ready to compete in the 2016 Mississippi Gulf Resort Classic, one of the most popular tournaments on the Champions Tour 26-event circuit. Brown is known on the tour as someone who understands how technology has changed the game and how players, no matter what their age and skill level, can use it to their advantage with some thoughtful planning. Welcome to the show. Great to be invited on. Thanks, Dave. Well, we're really excited to have you on today's program as we learn more about the impact of technology, physical fitness, and diet and travel changes on the game of golf. We're going to get into that a little bit later in the program. But I wanted to ask you to reflect a bit on your experience playing on the PGA Tour for 25 years and now on the Champions Tour since 2009. One of your signature wins on the PGA Tour was the Greater Hartford Open in 1998, a tournament that you weren't even sure you were going to play in because of fatigue. That has to be up there, I'm sure. But share a little bit with our audience about some of your favorite memories and your secret to a high level of consistency over such an extended period of time. Well, it's an interesting question, and I don't know if we have enough time on this show for that, but I mean, the fact is that old adage about 90% of life is just showing up really holds true pretty much everywhere. And, you know, it's a little bit of a cliche, but if you read between the lines, there's a lot of truth to it. So, you know, commitment is something that people make, not, not when you see them Thursday through Sunday, but the commitment is something that they make the days that you don't see them, the days that they're off completely, the, the you know, off season and so forth with preparation. Uh, you don't just show up at a golf course, you know, after not touching a club for six months and contend in the tournament. So golf is one of those kinds of games that uh, takes a lifetime to master. But, you you know, it's the kind of game where you have a lifetime to master it. I mean, football players, we all know by the time you're 30, they're getting a little long in the tooth. I mean, it's such a, uh, it's a, it's a collision sport. There's a lot of demands on the, on the body physically, not to say that there aren't in golf as well. Because, you know, you're doing a repetitive motion and you're impacting the ground every time you strike the ball. So 
people have to manage preparation, practice, fitness, and all that kind of thing uh, in order to not wear out. And uh, it's just like any other sport in that regard, only we have 60 years, 70 years sometimes to do it. You know, the Mississippi Gulf Resort Classic that I mentioned earlier is just around the corner. You're back in the 75-player field for this Champions Tour tournament next week in Biloxi, Mississippi. It really reads like a who's who of professional golf. There's five World Golf Hall of Famers, 19 PGA Champions Tour major winners, 11 PGA Tour major championship winners that will be featured in the three-day 54-hole tournament making this one of the strongest fields ever. I know Freddie Couples just pulled out because of back issues, but it's still a very, very strong field. There'll be a $1.6 million purse up for grabs. Give our audience a little insight on who you think besides yourself is poised to take on this award-winning Tom Fazio design Fallen Oak course. I'd also like you to share your impressions of Mississippi and the Gulf Coast as a setting for this type of tournament. Well, everybody loves coming to that area. Downtown there with the casinos and the hotels is a perfect place for players to hang out. There are a bunch of great restaurants. There's a lot to do in town. We were talking about fishing earlier. If you want to make the effort to do that, there's plenty of that available. But the golf course itself is a big attraction at uh, Fallen Oak. It's one of the better courses that we play. It's a beautiful design in a beautiful location. It's really challenging. And you you go through the list of uh, champions on that course since its inception. And every one of those guys is a great ball striker and a really fine competitor. So one of the best golf courses matched up with the amenities in town. It's an easy call to come and play there. We're certainly looking forward to it next week. I'd like to shift gears a bit and get your observations and insights on changes in the game of golf, especially equipment that allows players of all ages to hit the ball, gosh, 50 yards or more further. The focus on physical fitness, diet, and health that you mentioned earlier that's exponentially increased player longevity and changes in travel where most of the really young, successful players on the PGA Tour now have their own private jets to shuttle them between tournament appearances and, and sponsor appearances. Is the game more competitive and exciting to watch than it was 25 years ago? Well, it's certainly deeper. 25 years ago, there were a number of stars, and those stars were obvious. But nowadays, there are so many great players who have had so much great uh, instruction and preparation. Junior golf is strong. Collegiate golf is, is over the top. Players don't come to the tour and learn how to play anymore. They show up ready to play. You witness guys like Daniel Berger last year, Rookie of the Year, and uh, you know Jordan Spieth, who played his way on. He's a phenom on everybody's radar, but he actually missed at qualifying school and had to play his way onto the PGA Tour, and now he's the number one player in the world. So all these things factored together. Travel certainly has become a lot easier. If you can jump on a private plane with a buddy or two, you know, share the cost. You get to and from uh, much more easily, uh, much less stress. And we all see what it's like traveling nowadays. It's a horror show with all the stuff at the airports. And it's a lot. It certainly takes the edge off in, in that regard. And fatigue is something that, that guys have to fight. You know, the game has gone global. It used to be that there was basically a player or two who came from other parts of the world to play the PGA Tour, and now the game has gone global and players are, are doing the, um, the world tour to go and you know spread the word of golf. Jordan Spieth went and won Kapalua, the first event of the calendar year in Hawaii, and then hopped on a plane and went and played in God knows where, Dubai and Qatar and Singapore and I don't know where else. I think there was a, something printed that he, he logged 75,000 miles in the next few weeks uh, in air. Now, that's an extraordinary undertaking. It was it would have been unthinkable 25 years ago, but now it's just kind of business as usual. So 
Fitness is certainly an important component of that. Guys have nutritionists and therapists that travel with them. And there's just so much more information, and not, not just information, but quality information. Guys are better prepared. They are more fit. They mind their P's and Q's. They take care of themselves, and they understand that this is a long-term proposition. I mean, you know, I watch golf, too, just like everybody else. And one of the things they talk about is 45-year-old Phil Mickelson or 46-year-old Jim Furyk, and these guys are still competitive. Well, of course they're competitive. You know, they've taken good care of themselves. They work hard at their craft, and there's still a lot of money to be made. Now, it's a marvel when you look back 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. You see guys like Ben Hogan, Sam Snead, guys like that who played – well into their later years and were not only competitive, but champions into their mid, late 40s and even 50s. It's just kind of a window into the opportunity that golf offers. And if players take care of themselves, you know, it's like the old saying is 50s, the new 40 or 40s, the new 30 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Guys understand the biomechanics of golf. Anybody was watching yesterday, Jason Day reached back and grabbed his back in the middle of a driver swing. The forces generated are significant. And so, Players will want to build a swing that, that accommodates that, doesn't put their body in unnecessary positions that uh, can't accept the kind of forces that, that are necessary to, to hit quality golf shots. So that's certainly been a big part of golf and will continue to be going forward. I appreciate that. So no program like this would be complete without the quintessential who's the greatest golfer you played against on the PGA Tour question. But I, seriously, I, I would like to know from your perspective, Olin, who do you think was, you know, your greatest competition when you were on the PGA Tour? And now, as you've been playing for, this will be your eighth year on the Champions Tour. How about the player with the best, you know, the best ball striker, the best putting game? And also related to that, how did today's young players, you mentioned Jordan Spieth and, of course, Roy McIlroy, Ricky Fowler, Jason Day, that whole crew. How do they compare to some of the greatest of all time? like Tiger Woods and Arnold Palmer and Nicholas and Watson and Irwin, just to name a few. Well, I mean, there, there isn't even a close second into who's the greatest player I've ever played with, and that was Tiger Woods. For a 10-year period, he was the absolute dominant player, not in golf, but in all of sport. And comparisons to other athletes in other sport were, I think, disrespectful to Tiger. And I think we're finding out exactly what that means. So if you look at today's stars, forget about the up-and-comers. Forget about them. Let's talk about today's stars, guys like Phil Mickelson and Vijay Singh and Jim Furyk and guys like that who've been around 10 or more years, their records together don't match Tigers. So it's no disrespect to them. They're all Hall of Famers, in my opinion. They're all great players, multiple major champions. But in a period from 1997, when Tiger was his first full year on the PGA Tour, to 2008, which is just a 10-year window. He won 14 major championships, and if you polled everybody in the locker room, the number was upwards of 25, and he was going to shatter Jack Nicklaus's records, and it just hasn't happened. So he was, you know, if you break down golf into, let's say, five major components, driving the ball, iron play, short game putting, and mental game, every player who we've talked about has some level of competence in those five areas. Uh, you know, somebody might be an 8.5 with the driver. They might be a 7.5 with the iron play. They might be a 10 mentally. They might be a 5 in the short game. They might be an 8 in putting. You know, when you grade people on that basis, well, Tiger was a 9.5 in all of those. I mean, he was the toughest guy mentally. I believe there was a period where he at least projected that he would rather die than lose on that particular day and witnessed by the times he's throwing up on the golf course when he's got the flu and 
or he's, you know, injured. 2008 is the last year he won a major championship, you know, playing on a broken leg with a torn ligament. Tiger just had something that other players didn't. He had a toughness, and I saw him essentially break some of the other great players in the game with his mental approach. Now, there have always been guys who hit the ball long. There have always been guys who hit the ball great, and there have always been guys who putted great. But there haven't been guys who have done all of those things as competently as Tiger Woods since, you know, it's generational. So you see those individuals who were the greatest of their particular generation. Let's say going back to Bobby Jones. Well, there was no one who was quite the player that Bobby Jones was. And then Ben Hogan or Byron Nelson, and then uh, Jack Nicklaus, you know, and there were guys who challenged Jack Nicklaus when he was in his prime, Johnny Miller and Tom Watson and Gary Player and Lee Trevino and all those guys, but they never matched Jack Nicklaus for the longevity and the level at which he performed. So Tiger was that guy. There was nobody who was close, and he was just a remarkable competitor and the best player I've ever played with. To the young guys coming up, you know, because everybody wants to anoint the guy the next guy, right? And when Jack was in his prime, first it was Johnny Miller, and then it was Tom Watson, and then it was Hal Sutton, then it was, you know, so-and-so, Nick Price and Nick Faldo and guys like that, Greg Norman. And each one of those guys performed at an extraordinarily high level, and some of them became number one in the world and won multiple majors and so forth, but none of them were the dominant player. Jack Nicklaus's career, I think he won his first major in 1962. He won his last in 1986. It's 24 years of major championships, 25 years of major championship victories. And, and, that, and that just goes to show the greatness of Jack Nicklaus, who is the greatest golfer of all time. I had the opportunity to play with him at Doral when I was just a young player. He wasn't in his prime. He was well into his 50s at that point. But, you know, he was still Jack, and he's still an iconic figure. Again, going back to the young players nowadays, you know, we want to anoint them the next great player. And whether it's Jordan Spieth or Jason Day or Ricky Fowler or Dustin Johnson or any of those guys, you know, they, they've got to do what they've been doing for the next 10 years before they can even, you know, be part of the conversation. And they all make declaratives about wanting to be great and wanting to stay in the game and this and that and the other thing. But the bottom line is, if you want to be considered one of the all-time greats, you know, it takes time. And in this day and age of immediate gratification and, you know, super high-speed information and all that kind of stuff. We're a little too impatient. Uh, we, don't, we don't give people a chance to grow and nurture their games and develop and see where that leads. So I think time will tell. I appreciate that response. You know, one of the topics, Olin, on the PGA Champions Tour this year is a growing crescendo of players who say that they aren't getting the respect they've earned for sustained excellence, either from the golfing community, the news media, even fans, although they continue to play competitively at a very high level. They say much of it is the fast-paced youth culture we live in today and how the hyper-focus on social media and immediacy has taken away much of the interest and excitement and what I affectionately call the victory lap tour. What's your feeling and perspective on this issue? Well, it's a very competitive tour with highly accomplished individuals. It's the only place in all of sport where Hall of Famers are currently competing. People can come out and watch the Bernhard Longers and the Marco Mears and the Nick Prices and the Freddie Couples and the Colin Montgomery's and all these great players who have, again, been in golf for 20, 25 years at a, at a highly competitive very accomplished level. And I would concur that maybe the Champions Tour doesn't get the respect that it deserves. There are great players uh, and there have been great players. And it's just that, you know, we look at things 
as being a, a little bit uh, more ripe at that level than, you know, everybody wants the new, the greatest, the splashiest, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you what, what Hale Irwin did in winning 45 tournaments and what Bernhard Langer has done in his eight or nine years on the Champions Tour and winning 26 or seven events, those are extraordinary accomplishments, and they're playing against the elite players of the era. Uh, the Champions Tour is a very limited field. It's yeah. you know, 78 or 80 players every single week. It's very difficult uh, to get access. It's very difficult to maintain access and stay, stay current. You have to be healthy. You have to be competitive. You have to have, you know, have to have the fire still. Uh, and what, what those guys, what those guys all have done, what all of us do, uh, who have been out for significant period, is a pretty remarkable accomplishment. Given the fact that we're all nursing, you know, little knickknack injuries and and uh, you know all the distractions of life, and graduations and weddings and and uh, grandparents that need care and parents that need care and all that kind of stuff. So. It's a great tour. It's great to be a part of that tour. I mean, if you want to see really great golf, you'll see shots out on the Champions Tour you won't see on the PGA Tour. Just like you'll see shots on the PGA Tour you won't see on the Champions Tour. But we all grew up with wooden clubs and golf balls that spun offline, and guys learned how to how to play shots and, and manage their games around the golf courses. And one of the great criticisms of golf now is that these young players, they're so powerful, they hit the ball so far that a lot of the great courses are becoming kind of obsolete. Well, that's not the case with our tour. We still play the great golf courses, and we still play them the way we've always played them. The next question has to do with fitness and aging as it relates to the game of golf. There's no question that today golfers can get more advice on their swing, their launch angle, their spin rate. In fact, more information than ever before. You even alluded to it earlier in the program. At some point, though, age catches up to all of us, and it's too late to teach the body new tricks. How would you respond to older golfers who are intrigued by all the new teaching aids and technology, but frustrated that they literally can't will their body to do the things that they would like? It's a great question. There are things that we can do. We can all work on our flexibility, and the body will respond. Now, it may not respond like it did when it was 22, but it'll respond. And that old adage about use it or lose it, well, I'm a big believer in that. Use it or lose it. So... If you stay with it, I mean, I play golf all the time with guys who are in their 70s who still play great golf, in their 60s who still play great golf. If you maintain a reasonable regimen, you eat a reasonable diet, you know, you work on your fitness, cardio is important, get on a treadmill. You don't have to lift weights. Do a lot of stretching. Employ the use of a high-quality chiropractor will have incredible benefit because the body starts to lose its flexibility as you get older. Well, a chiropractor doesn't crack your bones. Chiropractors work on muscle structure and connective tissue and all that kind of stuff. And that's such an important component in staying fit. And the other thing is, is that, you know what, when I was 24 years old, I'd stand on the range and I'd hit four or 500 balls a day. And then I'd go play 36 holes, you know, and I was able to do that day in, day out. You know what? Young people were out doing that as well. And as you get older, you don't need to hit so many balls. Work on your short game. Working on bunker play or chipping and putting doesn't extract the kind of toll on you physically that hitting 300 drivers full tilt boogie will on a daily basis. So you can improve your game in other areas and still be competitive. You just have to change your approach a little bit. I think great examples of that in other sports would be Bill Belichick the coach of the New England Patriots. Here's a guy who doesn't do things the way everybody else does. He would rather move a player off the team a year before the player should be off the team rather than a year after. He finds other ways to get the job done and be competitive. 
You know, he was the first guy that really employed a double tight end set. He worked on matchups. He uses his brain and approaches the game cerebrally as opposed to just trying to bludgeon the other team to death, which is the approach that, say, a coach like uh, like Mike Ditka had, right? <laughs> That's right. So, I mean, different players, and I think you see the guys on the Champions Tour, the guys who are there are the guys who can think, the guys who understand the value of a shot. And the value of a, of a five-foot putt is the equivalent value of a 280-yard tee shot. Now, the bottom line in playing golf is what? What did you shoot? And so there's, there are more ways to shoot a score than there are just then uh, driving par fours or hitting par fives and two, which people do anyway. But the greatest players in golf, the greatest players have always been the golf savviest players. So, you know, Seve, for example, was famous for his short game. But, man, he, was, he had an approach, a mental approach to the game that gave him an edge. Jack Nicklaus had a mental approach to the game that gave him an edge. Tiger Woods did too. Corey Pavin does too. Bernhard Longer does too. All the guys who have had success at some point or another in the course of winning a championship had to make a quality decision that was based in strategy. And the greatest strategists are the ones who have had the most longevity. Well, finally, I'd like to ask you your perceptions on the future of golf. The modern game, as we know, it's been around for a long time. In fact, it was invented by the Scots. But new research by the National Golf Foundation shows that while the number of people trying golf for the first time continues to go up, overall participation continues to drop. Is this just a sign of our current impatience with life in the digital Internet age? There's an old Chinese proverb that says experience is the comb that life gives you after you're bald. Golf can be one of the most unforgiving games and one that requires frequent practice, as you alluded to earlier, to maintain any level of consistency. If new players are unwilling to invest the time it takes to practice and play to get better, what other changes need to be made to maintain interest in this great game? Two words that keep recurring from first-timers who try the game and then drop it like a hot potato are comfort and competence. How do we make golf newbies feel welcome and not outsiders? And how do we help them gain more golf basics so they can feel that adrenaline rush and that thrill of that great shot? Do we need to embrace more programs like Get Golf Ready for Newbies and look at changing the layout at golf courses to be more beginner-friendly like they're doing at Blue Jack National outside of Houston? Wow, what a question. Uh, I think that's a question better suited for a NATO get-together. I mean, I, I don't have anywhere near the answers to, to that. I do think that golf is awfully hard. And I think that the progression of golf, you know, with uh, agronomically, for example, where green speeds are up around 12 and a half or 13 makes golf really difficult. You know, the, the hole shrinks when the green speeds increase, I think, you know, fertilizers and waters and six or eight inch rough make the game too penal. I think that golf course design has, um, has gone from being, you know, friendly and topographical to being manufactured and dramatic, you know, like painting some kind of an exotic picture. I think that generally speaking, kids in this day and age, you know, there's been a de-emphasis on athletics, on being outside, on running around. I think that the idea that all things are equal, that, you know, games are supposed to be fun and not supposed to be life-defining is an approach that takes the competitive component maybe doesn't take it out of life, but kind of serves to kind of level the field for everybody. And I think that people are inherently competitive. 
and it's become awfully politically correct to ensure that everybody gets the same regardless of the outcome, regardless of competence. I think all these things are affecting sport at every level. I mean, you know, people are finally catching on that football is a disaster physically for the individual. And, you know, this, the NFL is doing everything that it can to push back on the CTE and the brain injuries and the mangled bodies that players are left with after a career professionally. I mean, I think there's an awareness, certainly, that is good in the, in the sense that we all know more about what we're doing, where we're going, and how we want to get where we, where we want to go. But that also takes kind of the, the sheer joy out of things. One of the great components of golf is the idea that you have to study something, you have to analyze it, you have to break it down, you have to put it together, and you have to find a way that it applies to you, the individual. Once you do that and something clicks, there's an enormous sense of accomplishment there. And I I think that maybe in a world that's as fast-paced as as we live right now, where a lot of things, for example, you you know, if if you wanted to look something up, you had to go to the library, you had to find an encyclopedia. Now you now you hit Google or Yahoo or whatever, and you find it in an instant. And things have accelerated so quickly that I don't think people want to invest the time or effort it takes to really be competent at something. You know, people want to graduate college and become the CEO of the company by the time they're 24 years old. You know, guys like uh, Zuckerberg invent a thing like Facebook, and they're instant billionaires. You know, and it's the overnight sensation that took years to get there, but people's perceptions are really, I think, the issue. So we have to find a way to make golf more accessible. We have to find a way to make golf less demanding. It's too hard. It's always been difficult, but it's over the top now. Golf balls go so far that when you hit one offline, you've got no chance of finding it. And the greens are, are too demanding. The bunkers are too deep. It's too hard to play. It's too frustrating. It takes too long, frankly. I mean, it drives, drives a lot of us crazy on the Champions Tour that it takes five hours to play around the golf. It shouldn't. It should take three hours and a half. That's what it should take. But, you know, when you have, in the old days, if you had a, a 10-foot putt and you rammed it, it went a foot past the hole. Nowadays, if you have a 10-foot putt and you ram it, you might putt it off the green. And all those things go towards, you know, to complicating the issue. So... I think that, you know, the governing bodies are certainly making inroads. Things like Top Golf, for example. I was at a Top Golf the other day. What a great concept, you know. It's a sports bar. You go and have some wings, have a birthday party, whatever. You can hit balls on the range and you can score based on a, you know, kind of like a darts concept. And that's going to introduce more people to golf. And then maybe maybe after they've done that a couple times, they say, you know what, I really like to go play golf at that golf course that I've been driving by for the last five or eight years. We just have to find other ways to introduce people to the game. And, you know, here's another thing. You know, everybody who started the game from my generation or before, almost everybody started as a caddy, right? It was a job. It was a way to make some money. It was an introduction to the game. And caddies have long since kind of been a thing of the past with with the evolution of carts and its revenue for the club. Now caddy programs are virtually non-existent. So we've got a lot of issues in golf, but it is the greatest game I've ever been a part of. And I played all sports growing up, and I think it's just, uh, I think we have a bright future going forward. Very insightful answer. As we've learned today, the great game of golf has a bright future, one fueled by changes in technology that are allowing professionals to play longer and at a higher level. If you'd like to learn more about the 2016 Mississippi Golf Resort Classic, go to www.2016mgrc.com. To learn more about the PGA Tour champions, go to www.pgatour.com. Thanks again, Olin, for coming on today's program. We'll look forward to catching up with you at Fallen Oak. I'll look forward to it, too. It's one of our favorite stops of the year, and it's just around the corner. We'll see everybody out there. 
Thanks for listening to today's podcast. You can follow Brown on the PGA Champions Tour at www.pga.com forward slash champions and learn more about the latest innovations and technology improvements for golfers at www.golfdigest.com. If you like the show, subscribe through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn. Join us next time as we talk to two leading analysts for Cisco about new research that predicts 70% of the world's population will be mobile users by 2020 and the implications for 5G and the road to the next generation of super-fast, flexible wireless connectivity. We'll explore how 5G may be coming just in the nick of time as smartphones and other mobile devices are set to flood the Internet with data and video over the next five years.